Welcome to episode 121 of the Fredcast Cycling Podcast for April 15th, 2009. My name is David, and I'm a Fred. In this week's episode of the Fredcast, finally our interview with Phil Kogan from The Amazing Race as he makes his way across the United States of America. But before that, we've got lots of news, including a Cisco exec making a death threat over a bicycle, a thief stealing an 83-year-old woman's 66-year-old bike, bicycle registration gains steam down under, lots of pro-cycling news, and Poland has the ability to jail drunk cyclists. We've also got upcoming events, upcoming rides, a listener question, and as always, pod-safe cycling music. So sit back, relax, and if you're riding your bike, hammer just a little bit harder, because here comes the Fredcast. Hey, welcome into another episode of the Fredcast Cycling Podcast. Great to have you back with us. First, quick announcement. Want to let you know that this week there is no enhanced Fredcast. Sorry about that. Just one of those weeks where I'm traveling and have a limited amount of time. If I told you what time I was recording this, you wouldn't believe me anyway. Now, this episode of the Fredcast is brought to you by the Cyclo Club. Cyclo Club is your location to find everything that you need as an everyday cyclist to become a better cyclist. And later in the show, you're going to be hearing a message from one of our listeners who wants to know how much climbing is a lot of climbing on their training ride. And I went looking for some information. I'm going to be asking you for some information. And I went to the Cyclo Club, and lo and behold, what did I find? But the Cyclo Club seven day climbing boot camp. Now, as you well know, I live in the Rocky Mountains and I'm also planning on going to the French Alps later this year. And you know what? I just have not been able to keep my legs in climbing shape. I'm going to go through this seven-day climbing boot camp that is on the Cycle Club, and it's going to transform me within seven days into a much better climber and get me ready for the spring and summer climbing seasons. Now, this climbing boot camp is available for a limited time on the Cyclo Club, and it includes everything that you're going to need to increase your climbing performance in just seven days. It doesn't matter if you're a beginner, if you're at the basic level, or you're intermediate or advanced, you're going to get lots of downloads and lots of information that you're going to be able to use to become a better climber. All kinds of videos that are specifically tailored to make you a better climber and specific training plans that you can use within seven days to become a better climber. And you know what? We can all use that kind of training. You can find the Cyclo Club by going to www.fredcast.com and clicking on the banner at the top of the page. That'll get you to the Cyclo Club where you too can sign up for your membership and become not just an everyday cyclist, but a better performing everyday cyclist. And if you sign up for Cyclo Club now, you're going to get a CycloCore on-the-go workout DVD for free if you sign up for a full year of access. So once again, go to www.fredcast.com, click that link at the top of the page, start increasing your climbing and any other cycling performance right away. We thank the Cyclo Club for their support of the Fredcast. One more quick announcement before we get to the news, and that is don't forget the Economic Stimulus Incentive Program for cyclists. For those of you interested in joining me in the French Alps this summer, uh, 
go to the website, go to the show notes and click on the link because between now and April 30th, you're going to save money if you sign up for the French Alps trip, the Chasseur de Col trip for this year where we'll be climbing all those famous climbs of the Tour de France in the French Alps. Go ahead and go to www.fredcast.com. Click on show notes for the show notes for show 121. Click that link, get all the information you'll need about that trip. And with that, it is time for the news. Topping the news tonight is a story that comes via Cyclicious. Cyclicious being one of the cycling lifestyle blogs, one of the best cycling lifestyle blogs out there. Cyclicious quoting a story on Valleywag, Valleywag being one of the uh, Silicon Valley's best known gossip blogs. Valleywag telling the story about Joe Burton, the CTO of Cisco's Unified Communications Group, and also an amateur cyclist. Burton was on his way into a local bike shop trying to pick up his $4,000 Cervelo. Cervelo was about a day late. He went into Cycle Path to get a final fitting on the bike, but when he was told he had to wait about 15 minutes, well, according to Valleywag, Burton flew into a rage. According to Valleywag, in addition to not accepting the salesman's apology for the delay, Burton told him, I hope you die. Now, when Cyclepath owner Joel Davis called Burton to try to get an apology, Burton said, and this is a quote here, under no uncertain terms will I ever effing, and of course he filled in the whole word, apologize to any member of your effing staff. According to Davis, Burton did finally apologize after Davis told him that there were several customers in the store who were willing to testify to police about the death threat that uh, Burton is supposed to have thrown at the salesman. Finally, according to Davis, he did get what's termed a, quote, half-hearted apology. You know, recently here on the Fredcast, we've been talking about various places around the world where bicycle registration is being considered as a way to help fund various projects having to do with bikes and alternative transportation. Well, according to an article on the age.com.au, bike registration seems to be gaining steam down under. In February, 3AW radio host Neil Mitchell called for a registration fee or tax at the point of sale to help pay for the state government in Victoria's new 100 $15 million bike strategy. And apparently, he's got a lot of folks who agree with him. As a matter of fact, in a recent survey of cyclists down under, just under half of 400 cyclists surveyed said that they would support some sort of a licensing scheme, with most saying that their support would be withdrawn if the money was not put towards creating better bike paths. But quite honestly, that's not the reason most cited in the article for why folks are supporting bike registration. In fact, some say that they want bike riders registered because they should help pay not only for infrastructure costs, but also so that they could be identified if they break the law when they're riding the bikes. Budget Direct spokeswoman Rachel Ward said that drivers these are her words, are tired of putting up with cyclists who regularly flout the law but cannot be reported. She said, quote, a lot of people feel very strongly about this. It's nothing sinister, but a lot of people are saying they get nervous when bicycles do silly things on the road. They feel cyclists should be held accountable. The problem isn't children on the road. It's when cyclists are ducking in and out of traffic and running red lights. 
Meanwhile, Harry Barber, who's the head of Bicycle Victoria, says that, yes, indeed, there are a minority of cyclists who break the rules, but that enforcement isn't really the problem. He said, quote, enforcement is a job for police, not motorists. This isn't a matter of passing a lot of laws that aren't enforced. The police have plenty of laws that they can enforce, but they have other priorities and they're pretty busy. He goes on to say that, look, the fact of the matter is that if we're going to ask cyclists to pitch in to support all sorts of infrastructure plans, then we also have to tax pedestrians and public transport users. And quite honestly, the issue in Australia, just as it is in Oregon, where we've been talking about this, many folks who ride bikes are also motorists, and they're already paying for these infrastructure costs through motor vehicle registrations and other taxes. We'll keep an eye on this in Oregon and in Australia and elsewhere, but it looks like this may be a trend that may be growing around the world. Moving back up to the United States now, I know many of you have been wondering where indeed the United States Bicycling Hall of Fame would be moving once it was announced that it would be moving out of its Somerville, New Jersey home. Well, a decision has now been made and... The winner is Davis, California. According to search committee chairman Bill Brunner, Davis was picked because its 64,000 residents have adopted the bicycle like no other city. It has more than 100 miles of bike paths and lanes and was named by the League of American Bicyclists the first platinum-level bicycle-friendly city. Dan Cahue, president of the California Bicycle Museum, said that he wants to combine the Hall of Fame and the Bicycle Museum into one facility with hands-on cycling exhibits. City leaders are seeking an appropriate location where star athletes will be inducted each year. Congratulations, Davis, California. I think other than Portland, Oregon, no other city is as well-suited as you are. Well, let's move along, since we've talked about the Bicycling Hall of Fame, to pro cycling news, starting with the Vuelta Ciclista al País Vasco, or the cycling tour of the Basque Country in Spain. Now, this took place April 6th through the 11th, and when we last spoke, Alberto Contador was leading the tour of the Basque Country, and on Saturday, he did indeed clinch the victory in the general classification in the 2009 Tour of the Basque Country after winning the 24-kilometer time trial around the city of Zaya. Now, this was the second straight Vuelta a Ciclista País Vasco victory for Alberto Contador, and he was quoted as saying, quote, it's incredible how I continue to progress in my time trial work. Two, three years ago, this would have been impossible. I'm a typical climber. In theory, We're not so strong in time trial work. This gives me confidence for the next goal, the Tour de France. Now, Contador won the time trial in 31 minutes, 59 seconds. Second place went to Team Katusha's Tony Colom, 22 seconds behind. Third place to Spain's Samuel Sanchez, who came in 45 seconds off of Contador's time. And, coincidentally, the final general classification podium looked exactly the same. First place going to Alberto Contador of Team Astana in 20 hours, 48 minutes, and 30 seconds. 30 seconds behind him from Spain and Team Katusha was Antonio Colom. Third place from Spain and Euskaltel Euskadi, Samuel Sanchez in 53 seconds behind Alberto Contador. Fourth place, Australia's Cadell Evans from Ceylon Salado, 1 minute 33 seconds back of Contador. (laughs) 
In fifth place, Luis Leon Sanchez from Castaparna and Spain, 1 minute 48 seconds back. Following the tour of the Basque Country was perhaps one of every year's most anticipated spring classics, the Hell of the North, Perry-Roubaix. Perry-Roubaix is well over 100 years old and has seen its share of champions. Many of us were looking toward a couple of names to possibly win this year's event. We've talked about guys like Tom Bonin and certainly big George Hincapie, who's had his sights on Perry-Roubaix for years and years, but it was Bonin from Team Quickstep completing his third victory of Perry-Roubaix. And this was a tough race as it is every year. It's 259 kilometers. There are almost 53 kilometers of cobble sections. Bonin finished at 47 seconds ahead of second place Filippo Pizzotto with Tor Husov, the god of thunder himself, coming in third place on this year's Perry-Roubaix. As usual for Perry Roubaix, this year's race was marred by several crashes, including Leif Host, Juan Antonio Flecha, Tor Husoft, and quite honestly, Bonin himself, when he had to have a bike change late in the race due to a flat. But perhaps the most tragic crash of the day was when 16 spectators were injured, four of them seriously, when a motorcycle carrying race officials ran into the crowd toward the end of the race. The accident took place in a town called, and once again, I'm going to mispronounce this, or Cheese. This is about 60 kilometers from the finish line when the motorcycle lost control at the end of a cobbled section and careened into the crowd. Four of those 16 spectators were seriously injured, including a four-year-old girl. Well, after the recent racing, there have been some changes in the current world rankings. Currently, among the individuals sitting in first place, Heinrich Hausler from Germany. Second place, Alberto Contador. Third, Alan Davis, formerly in the number one spot. Fourth place, Luis Leon Sanchez. And in fifth place, Antonio Colum. As far as the teams go, Quick Step is sitting in first place with 517 points. Second place, Cervelo Test Team with 370. Third place, Team Columbia High Road with 359 place. Fourth, Team Saxo Bank with 311. And in fifth, Team Katusha with 289 points. In the country standing, Spain is in first place, having moved up from second place with 657 points. Australia in second, formerly in first, with 446. And in third place, it's Italy with 431 points. It's still early in the season. I would expect a lot of changes in these standings between now and the end of the year. Among the next events we'll be talking about on the pro cycling calendar, Amstel Gold takes place this weekend, April the 19th, La Flèche Wallonne, April the 22nd, and Liège-Bastogne-Liège on April the 24th. Unfortunately, this year with the number of injuries, I think we're going to have to add an injured reserve list to the Fredcast every week. And this week we have three injuries to tell you about. First of all, Chris Horner from Team Astana was in a bad crash on Thursday's fourth stage at the Vuelta al País Vasco. He crashed and went sliding under a guardrail. Initially, there were fears that Horner broke his collarbone, but the x-rays that were taken in Spain indicated that it was not a broken bone after all. Horner went back to the United States on Friday to try to recuperate and try to get ready for the Giro d'Italia. Also on the injured reserve list, 
Well, the winner of Paris-Roubaix, Tom Bonin, and Australia's Robbie McEwen both went down today in the Shell de Prix race in Belgium, and it was in the very final, maybe 50 meters of the race, as there was a bunch sprint at the line, a touch of wheels, and everyone seemed to go down that was near the front. Alessandro Pataki, both Bonin and McEwen going down extremely hard. Bonin's complaining of an injury to his right foot, but it looked like McEwen may have taken the brunt of the injuries, complaining of pain in his head, neck, chest, and legs, and there are rumors that he might be suffering the possible concussion, broken ribs, or perhaps a punctured lung. Hope to have better news and more information for you next week here on the Fredcast. But perhaps beyond... The Vuelta a Pais Vasco, beyond Perry Roubaix, beyond serious injuries to three very major cyclists in professional sport, the biggest story in professional cycling for the past two weeks is and continues to be the Lance Armstrong shower incident. You'll recall we talked about this last week, the fact that a French inspector showed up when Lance finished a training ride and asked for samples of his blood, hair, and urine. Lance According to him, his story was that they weren't quite sure about this individual's credentials, and while Johan Brunil was checking with the UCI about the validity of this individual's credentials, Lance asked if it was okay if he could take a shower, and according to Lance's story, the inspector agreed. However, once the inspector left, a flap ensued in which the AFLD, which is France's anti-doping agency, claims that Lance acted improperly. According to Reports everywhere in the news, the French anti-doping authorities are considering filing sanctions against Lance Armstrong for his activity in this incident. And according to Lance and Johan Brunil, they believe that this is the French's attempt to keep Lance from winning his eighth Tour de France this year. According to Lance Armstrong, he was quoted as saying, quote, I know that we have a long history there, meaning in France, and I know that certainly my comeback wasn't welcomed by a lot of people, which is unfortunate. I suspect this will escalate and we'll see even more antics out of the AFLD in the near future, and there's a very high likelihood they'd prohibit me from riding in the Tour. For his part, Johan Brunil says that Quote, it's obvious they want Lance's head at any price. It's no surprise because we knew that they were going to make life difficult for him, but not like this. Lance has passed 24 anti-doping controls in half the world since he announced he would come back to race. 23 have been carried out with any problem, but the last one, the only one he's done in France, is already making life complicated for us. Meanwhile, UCI Chief Pat McQuaid is also weighing in and taking Lance Armstrong and Johan Bernil's side. Pat McQuaid, being quoted by the BBC, said, quote, The French are not acting very professionally in this case. The tester has to have specific instruction that the athlete must remain under his supervision from the moment he is notified until the test is concluded. From my understanding, that was not the case. Lance Armstrong had every right to take a shower while his manager checked with the UCI that these people had the authority to take these samples. During that time, his manager rang me, and I put him on to our anti-doping manager who confirmed that the AFLD has the authority to take the samples. 
McQuaid then went on to criticize the way the AFLD is handling the sanctioning process. He said, quote, normal proceedings between institutions such as national anti-doping agencies, the International Federation, and WADA are normally done in a professional and confidential way until a decision or sanction has been taken. In this case, it was leaked to the press, and I do find that disturbing. Now, a lot of you have weighed in on this issue in emails to me over the last week or so. Some of you, quite honestly, calling me a Lance Armstrong fanboy. I can take it. I'm not, but I can take it. Uh, The others of you have also come up with all sorts of conspiracy theories. Some of you saying that this was all trumped up by Lance because he knows that he can't win the Tour de France, and therefore this will be a way for him to keep out of the race and save face. Others of you who have simply agreed with Lance in saying that this is the French's way of keeping Lance out of the Tour de France and keeping yet another American from, quote, embarrassing the French on their home territory. Still others of you have come up with all sorts of theories about the reason why Lance wanted to take a shower, perhaps that he had some way to doctor his urine. I'm very curious to hear how that could have happened. Doctor his blood. I'm even more curious to hear how that could have happened. Or perhaps use some sort of a special shampoo that would wash any trace of DNA and blood out of his hair. I don't know. I'm not quite sure that uh, Lance is working for the British Secret Service and that he has a guy like Q providing him with that shampoo. I think at the end of the day, this simply comes down to a matter where the inspector showed up, Lance asked to take a shower. My personal opinion is the inspector told him it was okay. By the way, I have no information. This is just something I'm surmising. And that when he left and he reported to his superiors that he allowed Lance to do that, that one of two things happened. Either he tried to save face with his superiors, telling them that uh, he tried to keep Lance from taking a shower, realizing that perhaps he had made a mistake, and therefore the flap ensued. Or perhaps his superiors took that as an opportunity to slap the wrist of Lance Armstrong. You know, I don't think we're ever going to get to the bottom, get to the truth of the matter. Uh, I think that somewhere between all of these theories it lies the truth, somewhere between what the inspector is reporting, somewhere between what Lance Armstrong is reporting. I do think, however, fanboy or not, that it would be a shame for really what probably was more than likely a misunderstanding to keep a guy like Lance Armstrong out of the Tour de France if indeed that does end up happening. Of course, I'll follow this, continue to follow it, and bring you more details as they arise. Switching gears away from professional cycling, this is a story that does, well, all it does is make you mad. Ruth Slovensky lives in Lewiston, Maine. Now, Ruth is 83 years old, and in 1943, she got a blue Huffy bike as a gift, just when she was a teenager. Well, she's been riding that bike for years and years. That bike is now 66 years old. And the other day, Saturday, she rode her bike to visit a local nursing home there in Lewiston, Maine. And Lewiston is a southern Maine city of about 35,000 residents. She left the bike unlocked outside the nursing home, and a thief stole it. Police said Slovensky had left the bike near a mailbox, and when she went back to it two hours later, the bike was gone. But thankfully, the story has a happy ending. So despite the fact that several people offered reward money to help recover Ruth's bike, somebody who claims that he received the bike saw Ruth's story and turned her bike into the police. Sounds kind of familiar. Speaking of Lance Armstrong, reminds me of the guy who received Lance's bike knowing that it was stolen 
and is now in jail. I hope that whoever did this gets punished, whether by the police or perhaps in the ever after. And finally, Poland's constitutional court has upheld a ruling that says that drunken cyclists should be treated exactly like drunken motorists. And that means that they could face heavy fines and or prison sentences if they are caught riding their bikes while under the influence. This statistic blew me away that there are 2,000 Poles currently in prison for riding a bike while under the influence of alcohol. Now, this all stems from a law that was passed in the year 2000 stating that anyone riding a bike under the influence of alcohol faces a fine or up to two years in prison, depending on the level of their intoxication. But many courts apply a stricter penalty, and the average sentence is 11 and a half months of imprisonment. Yaroslav Sielecki, a 37-year-old judge from Western Poland, called the law absurd and draconian, also stating that it can drag whole families into poverty. He says that intoxicated cyclists should be treated like drunken pedestrians who face nothing more than a fine and not jail. The Constitutional Court, however, argued that because cyclists use public roads and are considerably more dangerous because of the speed that they can attain, they should be held to the higher standard. Please keep this in mind the next time you're in Poland and you decide to ride your bike back to your home or hotel after visiting the pub. And that's going to be it for the news for this episode of the Fredcast. Before we get to our features and there's a lot of them tonight. Just want to thank another one of our sponsors, Audible. Audible is the place on the internet to get audio books, podcasts, and all sorts of great audio content that you can listen to and download anytime to your iPod and portable MP3 player. There are over 50,000 titles available on Audible. Trust me, if there's a book on your nightstand or in your backpack, chances are it is available on Audible. And Audible is offering a special offer to Fredcast listeners, one free audiobook download and a 14-day free trial of their Audible Listener Gold program. Simply go to audiblepodcast.com slash cycling to get your free audiobook download. And whether you stick with Audible or not, that download, that audiobook will be yours to keep. Thanks again to Audible for their support of the Fredcast. Please go to audiblepodcast.com slash cycling and sign up now. Okay, tonight's features will include the interview that I did yesterday with Phil Kogan of The Amazing Race. But before we get to that, I got an email from some listeners wondering what's going on with Yehuda Moon. Now, you may recall that a couple of months ago, I did an interview with Rick Smith. Rick Smith is the author and cartoonist who is the creator of the Yehuda Moon comic strip. And one of the things that I've heard from a lot of you is that many of you are not comic strip fans, you're not cartoon fans, but Yehuda Moon, because uh, he spoke to you, because you related to what was going in, on in that comic strip, was a comic that you looked forward to every single day and was perhaps your homepage on your internet browser or the first place you went with your cup of coffee every morning. Well, you may have noticed a few days ago that Yehuda was riding along, he stopped, he said, gee, this looks like a great place to stop for a while. He walked out of the frame, and then Rick Smith let you know that he's taking Yehuda and putting him on hiatus for a little while. Well, I emailed Rick and I asked him about that, and quite simply, and I can relate to this, 
Rick needs just a little time away from Yehuda Moon, but he assures me that Yehuda Moon will be back as soon as he's had some time to recharge his batteries and get a little bit ahead on his creation of daily Yehuda Moon strips. Good news for all of you that are Yehuda Moon fans. Rick says that Yehuda will be back. Well, I don't know about you, but I am a huge fan and have been since the beginning of a show on CBS television called The Amazing Race. The Amazing Race airs Sundays at 8 p.m. Eastern and Pacific and features teams of two who race around the world trying to compete in various challenges to see who can make it to the finish line first and win $1 million. I've been watching it since season number one. I've even sent in an audition videotape, although I haven't been chosen. I'm looking forward to it. The host of The Amazing Race is a gentleman by the name of Phil Kogan. Phil's from New Zealand, and turns out He's quite a strong cyclist. Phil recently embarked on a ride from the West Coast to the East Coast. In most cases, riding at least a century every single day as he makes his way toward New York City for the finale of The Amazing Race. Along the way, Phil is trying to raise awareness of and raise money for multiple sclerosis and let people know about the various 100 bike MS events that occur around the country every single year. I had the great pleasure of interviewing Phil Kogan yesterday. Really enjoyed it. So I hope that you will enjoy the following interview with Phil Kogan of The Amazing Race. This morning, I am pleased to welcome Phil Kogan. You may know Phil as the host of The Amazing Race on CBS or perhaps the author of No Opportunity Wasted. But for somebody who's a cyclist and whose life is also affected by MS every day, I know Phil as the guy who's riding across the United States. Welcome, Phil. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it is a pleasure. Phil, tell everybody briefly what it is that you're doing and why. Well, uh, I'm biking across America over a period of 40 days, uh, over 3,500 miles. And uh, one of my primary goals is to raise as much money and as much awareness for MS as I can. And uh, I am now heading into day 18. And my website is philridesacrossamerica.com. And uh, as I've been making my way across the country, uh, people have been joining me. And I've been meeting people living with MS. I've also been sharing the message of bike riding. I've, of course, been talking about the amazing race and my, my philosophy of no opportunity wasted. Uh, it's really a, an opportunity, I guess, to address a number of things that are important to me. So what is it about uh, MS that, uh, that, that inspired you to take a month and a half of your life off and uh, ride across the U.S. to raise awareness for it? Well, I uh, sponsor a cycling team in Los Angeles, California, that is called the Now MS Cycling Team. And I co-sponsor it and uh, one of the principal sponsors along with MS. So I've been associated with the MS Society for about four years, and I just really love the organization. They're very well, um, I guess, um, they're, they're almost like a family to me now just because I've, I've been working with them for so long. I've been competing, when I say competing, I have been participating, I should say, in their MS rides um, in California. They, they organize 100 bike rides across the country with 100,000 riders every year. And I just love the spirit of their rides. I love the spirit of their organization. And 
So when I told them that I was looking to bike across America and that I wanted to to add a great cause to my endeavors, they uh, they said, well, we'd love to support you. So we're we're organizing a number of MS rides uh, along the way, and uh, they're just just a fantastic group of people to work with. Now, see, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, I actually, <clears throat> what you may not know is uh, I. And one of the, the folks who helped organize one of the rides in Southern California, the one from Orange County to San Diego, that's the Beta Bay uh, Bike MS. Yeah. Event. And I yep. was the chairman of that ride for a couple of years. So I know what you mean. I know a lot of the folks in the MS Society. And I do it because my wife has MS. And uh, I got very involved in, in the society uh, once she had her diagnosis. And uh, I yep. decided that it was my way to help her was riding my bike. So yep. thank you for doing what you're doing. Now, you, you had a ride with the MS Society in Denver last weekend. Tell me about that. Well, we have um, nine rides organized across the country. Los Angeles has Denver, as you mentioned. We're going to be having one in Des Moines and Chicago, um, Pittsburgh, and then all the way up, all the way through to New York City where, when we finish for the finale of the Amazing Race. And uh, these rides are starting at GNC stores, and we're encouraging as many people uh, to come out as possible to be there. Um, for those, and they're the the bigger events. Um, but you know, yesterday I I, I was in. Um, oh, I have to think very carefully about where I was yesterday. Where was I? I was in Ray yesterday, <laughs> and um, and and there we had about 600 people turn up, and that wasn't an organized MS event. It was uh, we we were drawing awareness, of course, to MS. But it was meant to be one of the smaller events, but the, the momentum is kind of built, and more and more people are turning up to be a part of these events, and uh, that's what's so exciting. So, and, and I've had several friends who have ridden with you actually along the way uh, as you've been riding your, your, your way across America. Have you met somebody in particular that stands out as inspirational to you as you've made your way across the U.S. so far? Oh, there's plenty of inspirational stories. Yes, a young man, DJ who's only in the eighth grade, who's living with MS. And, um, and when I meet people like that and I meet people that come up to me and look me in the eye and tell me that their brother or sister or family member uh, is going to benefit from the awareness that will come from the efforts of of people like myself who are reaching out to try to do something, that's a real motivator. And no matter how tired I get, I always try to remember that I'm, I am able to move, and uh, I'm lucky in that way. And so uh, I guess those of us who can move need to move to help uh, those who have their movement taken away from them, which is essentially what happens uh, with MS. And uh, I, I do need to you know, thank GNC for supporting this because this is a ride that has been self-funded. I'll be putting in a lot of my own personal money to make this happen. My dad has come all the way from New Zealand to drive the truck. It's pretty grassroots. It's not funded by a big uh, organization completely. I mean, it's uh, got the support of a number of companies that have helped make it happen, and um, the rest is coming from me personally. But uh, it, we would not be out of here if it wasn't for GNC. So I've just uh, asked people to support them just because they've supported MS, and they've, they've been raising a tremendous amount of money in-store uh, since I started, and um, our goal is to, well, my, my personal goal is to try to get to a half a million dollars by the time I get to New York, and we're doing pretty well so far uh, hitting that goal, and uh, I would just ask anybody who 
um, would like to support me to go to philrodsacrossamerica.com. Um, there's a, a place there where they can make a donation or to turn up uh, to these events that are all, again, listed on the website philrodsacrossamerica.com and come out and just, whether they ride a bike or whether they just come out to cheer or share their story about somebody with MS, uh, try to support us in some way. Now, of course, you can you can go to Phil's website. You can follow him on Twitter, Facebook. He's got daily video blogs, which, uh, Phil, I've noticed every day you're, you're getting more and more tired, a little concerned about you. A lot of my listeners do centuries, but to do a century every single day, how did you prepare? <laughs> well, uh, I think today is going to be my, um, my 17th century, um, back-to-back, and... Uh, I I started overtraining to be honest with you in the beginning because I naively thought that if you go for a, if you're going to do a big ride you need to ride a lot mm. um, and there's a certain amount of truth to that but you have to also make sure you don't overtrain and I was overtraining for a while so I got uh, expert advice from Chris Carmichael Training Systems uh, Chris who of course works with Lance Armstrong and he put me on a proper program and the first thing he got me to do was to get off my bike for a week <laughs> and I was. And I was freaking out. I said, what do you mean get off my bike for a week? I got this huge ride to do. He said, you are exhausted. Your body is uh, completely run down. Uh, You've overtrained, and you need to let your body recover before we start to build you for the ride. So uh, I put my trust in them, and, uh, you know, I I, I know I'm in shape. Um, It is extremely tiring. Uh, One of the biggest challenges I face is I'm not able to rest when I get in. I'm uh, working from very early in the morning, uh, doing publicity and and going to the events, and then when I get in at night, there's a tremendous amount of work to be done. I was up uh, till the early hours of this morning uh, doing voiceover for Amazing Race from my hotel room, setting up a voiceover booth in my room and doing voiceover. So, uh, to be honest with you, being off the bike is is just as exhausting as the the the, the centuries that I'm doing every day. But I'm, I'm determined to make it. Tell us about a little bit about the equipment that, that you've brought with you, about your bikes, about what, what sort of um, uh, electronics you have with you. Are you monitoring your power? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I, I am traveling with a device that's called the Normatech MVP. It's a, it's a medical device. It was started as a medical device that was used for people with bad circulation, people with diabetes, and they, it has five chambers. Uh, they, they look like, a little bit like the Michelin Man when you put them on your feet, uh, on your legs. Sorry, they've been called space legs, and um, a lot of top cyclists use them. Mm-hmm. They were recommended by a young 18-year-old uh, rider in my club and in, in the team that I sponsor. He's a nationally rated rider, and he said, uh, Phil, I need to bring you into, into the 21st century. Uh, you need to get some of these. And uh, essentially what they do is they, they pump the lactic acid out of your legs. Uh, you put them on, and they inflate from the feet, and then they go to the ankles, and it goes to the knees, the thigh, and then the upper thigh, and it squeezes the lactic acid out of your leg, speeds up the process of getting rid of lactic acid um, as the body would normally do. So I've been using those every night, and that's been a huge, huge benefit. It's like getting a massage, um, and I try to get my legs up. I can be doing work while, I've, while I'm wearing those. Um, we have, we're tra- traveling with an HD camera. Um, so we're shooting all of this in HD, documenting the trip. Um, we BMW uh, kindly agreed to uh, provide a motorbike, so we have a motor rider who is a, an expert motor rider who does uh, the New York Marathon. And um, then we have an edit system that is packed up every day and that we bring into 
hotel rooms and we cut these blogs, these daily video blogs that are up on my website, philridesacrossamerica.com, and we post those every day, talk about the people that we've met and some of the inspirational stories along the way. Then I have a uh, power meter on my bike, which tells me exactly how much power I'm churning out and what my heart rate is at any given time, what my average cadence is, average speed. That's uh, hugely beneficial because uh, I have to watch that I don't load my legs up too much or push my body too hard. Although I have to say when the opportunity arises to go fast, uh, I have been pushing myself a little bit because I just love the sensation. So it's hard to be disciplined sometimes. <laughs> well, I liked, I liked your comment on your, on your blog about going close to, what, 57 miles an hour and saying your mom wouldn't be too happy about that. No, my mom wouldn't be too happy. My dad was. Uh, it took it took my dad a while to get impressed. But anybody who's a cyclist will know that that's a, a very fast speed, and it was done on the flat. The wind was so strong um, that I, I I actually got to that speed on the flat. It's faster than I've ever gone on a downhill. Um, but we got caught in a major, major uh, storm, a windstorm. Well, thank goodness and the wind was behind you, right? Yeah, if it had been going the other way, you know, that's been the biggest challenge on this, uh, on the bike, is just being the wind. It's, uh, it's coming from all directions. We, we've been, it's been gusting. I was out with the group the other day, and I ended up as the only rider that could stay on the road because I was heavier than the other riders. The other ones were getting literally blown off the road. The winds were gusting over 45 knots in the crosswind, and they blew one of my friends right off the road, and she had to uh, pull her bike up and get into the van. <clears throat> um, I, I ran into a car on, on, on the same day, actually, that a car pulled out onto the highway without looking and I slid into a car. Um, it, it's been a challenge. The, 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 uh, I've had nine flats and um, the, the shoulders are pretty rough here and there, but um, I'm working with a great company, Trek Travel, who are uh, picking out the route as best they can. And I'm very pleased to be over the Rockies. That was I knew was going to be one of the most challenging aspects getting from Los Angeles to Denver. Now, do you get the chance to take your bike on the amazing race? No. Are, are when I'm on amazing race, um, when, when I, there's a lot of similarities between working on amazing race and this ride um, in terms of mental exhaustion. Uh, when I'm on amazing race, I get an average of about three hours sleep a night for a month. I lose about 12 pounds. Um, the, the work hours are pretty horrendous. And, and sometimes there are days that go by where I don't actually get to a hotel. So from a mental standpoint, uh, getting through this ride, um, I've, I've, I've been here mentally before. Um, the big challenge, of course, on this is that I have to add the physical aspect to this on top of the mental stuff. Is there some place when you've been on the Amazing Race that you said to yourself, "Wow, I wish I had my bike here"? Oh yeah, I mean, being in in Ethiopia and Lalabella, and um, being uh, in some places in Europe and in the vineyards of France and um, some of the uh, uh, higher regions of uh, um, India. Some oh, I mean, yeah. There's always times where I go, "Man, I wish I had my bike," but there is just literally no time. And, uh, if you look at the, I do a lot of blogs for amazing race online. And, uh, there's a, a video there of me training in, in a stairwell in Siberia because I was getting, I knew I was going to be doing this ride. And, uh, the only place I could train was in a stairwell. There was no gym in the hotel. So 
I was on floor 23. I ran to 22, 21, 20, all the way down to one, and then started going back up again an hour and a half run, leaving a trail of sweat up and down the stairs in the hotel. So, uh, yeah, you have to be very imaginative because it was too cold to go for a run outside. <laughs> one last question because I know you've got to go and you've got to get on your bike. But, but and I, I, Judging by your book, I have a feeling I know how you'll answer this, but if, if complete this sentence. All my traveling around the world has taught me that people are the same wherever you go. They want the same thing for their family, that, that there's good and bad in everybody everywhere. And, uh, but at the end of the day, the human spirit is alive and well throughout the world. And uh, that really we're not as different as we think we are. I think that's a great place to end it. Phil Kogan, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for riding and raising awareness for MS. Everyone, you can go to philridesacrossamerica.com to find out when you can ride with Phil and how you can donate to his cause. Phil, keep the rubber side down. Have a great ride. Yeah, well, thank you for taking the time to uh, talk about my ride with me. And uh, the more you can talk about it, the, the better. I really appreciate it. Will do. Phil, thanks so much. Seriously, have a great ride. Thank you, sir. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. It was indeed a great pleasure and a thrill to interview Phil Kogan from The Amazing Race. I've got links in the show notes to all of the things that we talked about. Of course, his website, philridesacrossamerica.com. Also, don't forget that Phil is working to raise awareness for MS and for the Bike MS events. For those, you can go to bikems.org to find one of a 100 rides near you. I've participated in several of them around the country. Every single one of them has been a top-notch ride, extremely well-supported, and a lot of fantastic people and very emotional events, every one of them. So go participate in a Bike MS event immediately. Also, I've got a link to Phil's book, No Opportunity Wasted, and where you can buy it on Amazon.com. And then finally, don't forget that you can watch The Amazing Race, Sundays at 8 o'clock Eastern and Pacific on CBS. My thanks to Phil Kogan for taking the time, and you can tell that he didn't have much of it, so I appreciate that. Also to uh, Mitch Graham and Colleen Sullivan from CBS, also, Becca Kornfeld and Nancy Palo from the National MS Society for helping me set up that interview. Okay, as promised, we talk a lot about climbing here on the Fredcast because quite honestly, it's kind of difficult if you live in almost anywhere in the world to go out on your bike for any length of a ride without having to climb a hill. And listener Richard called in with the following question. Hey, David. Uh... I'd say I'm a long-time listener, a little over a year. Um, we've heard from you a few times. Uh, I had a question uh, now that I'm finally caught up with uh, your podcast and the, the Spokesman's podcast and the Bike to Work podcast. Uh, all caught up. Um, how much climbing is a lot of climbing? I live in Maine. It's really hilly. So, But my question was, is, is it's hilly here, and I've always considered it you know, there would be a relative amount of climbing. Uh, but as I'm mapping my rides, I'm looking at elevation. Uh, I mean, you can't do a ride over 16 miles without 600 feet of climbing. Am I, is it just average or, or can I actually say to people, yeah, Maine's really hilly and I do a lot of climbing in my area. The climbs aren't real long. They're all kind of short and steep. Um, yeah, I just thought that'd be an interesting, interesting question to bring up. 
All right. Well, thanks a lot, David. And I, I listen. I look forward to uh, the next podcast. Bye bye. All right, so this is the challenge for the rest of you Fredcast listeners. How much climbing is a lot of climbing? Now, I responded to Richard's email and I told him, look, I live in the Rockies and you know I can't go for a typical 20-mile training ride without doing, say, 1,200 feet of climbing. Uh, I also know, though, when I was living in L.A., there were certain times when I'd go on a 20, 25-mile ride and only have about 400 feet of climbing. Uh, and then again, I'd go on a 25-mile ride and have 2,000 feet of climbing. So... Kind of an open question to everybody, and I'd love to get your voicemails on this. Please call the Fredcast listener hotline at 435-2586-FRED. That's 435-258-6373. Let me know how much climbing is a lot of climbing. What's your typical training ride, and how many feet of climbing is typical on that typical training ride? Go ahead and send me a voicemail. I will play them on the next show. Looking forward to hearing from you because I think it's a pretty interesting question. For those of you in Los Angeles who like bicycles, who like bicycle movies, and perhaps who like art, here's something that you might find interesting. It's an upcoming event. It's actually taking place tomorrow night. That's Thursday, April the 16th at the Hammer Museum. You see, the Hammer Museum has a new exhibition that they're calling Nine Lives, Visionary Artists from Los Angeles. And included in that exhibition is textile artist, photographer, and bicycle advocate, Lisa Ann Auerbach. As part of Lisa's exhibit, The Hammer is hosting what they're calling Bicycle Night at the Hammer. Once again, this takes place Thursday night, April the 16th, from... 7 to 11 p.m. Now, here's what they're going to do. First of all, from 11 to 7 to 11, they're going to have a complimentary bicycle valet at the museum, courtesy of the L.A. County Bike Coalition. From 7 to 8.30, they're going to have a vegetarian delight. I suppose that's sort of light food for you available there, plus a cash bar and a live musical performance with visual projections by Telematique. And at 8.30, they're going to screen the film Breaking Away. Now, in addition, Lisa Ann Auerbach is going to be taking part in a ride from Heliotrope Drive and Melrose Avenue at 5 o'clock in the evening riding. It's about a nine and a half mile ride from there to the Hammer Museum. For more information, go to the website, www.fredcast.com. Click on the show notes link at the top of the page. Go to show number 121 and click on the link for bike night at the Hammer. Also, for those of you in Southern California, here's an upcoming ride taking place this weekend on April the 18th. It's the 30th anniversary of one of my favorite rides, Rosarita to Ensenada. Now, this is a fun ride. It's not a century. It's not a race. It's just a 50-mile ride in Baja, California from Rosarita, Mexico to Ensenada, Mexico. And actually, from the things that I've been reading, because of some of the bad press, because of some of the the drug problems that are going on down in Mexico, um, they're looking at a reduced number of people. Actually, they're looking at about 3,500 riders currently. Uh, Typically, they look at between 5,000 and 7,500. So I don't even know if they're going to break even this year, but it is the 30th anniversary of the event. It's always a great event. I've got links in the show notes. If you are at all inclined, it is one that you will really enjoy, and they do have day of event registration.
Now, a little bit farther down the calendar, on May the 24th, 2009, that's Memorial Day weekend, again in Southwest Harbor, Maine, so back to Maine again, a listener let us know about the Harbor House 28th Annual West Side Rides. The West Side Rides is a fundraiser for the Harbor House, which is a youth sports program. It's a nonprofit organization dedicated to providing a diversity of services which can conserve and enrich the quality of life for all those on Mount Desert Island, Maine. And this will keep their youth sports programs available to all, no matter what their economic situation is. Now, There are three rides associated with Westside's rides. One is a 30-mile pro race. One is a 30-mile fun ride along the same course. And then there's also a 10-mile easy ride. Links are in the show notes to where you can get more information and register yourself for that ride. And finally, one more upcoming ride. We've talked before on the show about Team Land Rover or Bea. They're good friends of the Fredcast. They do a lot of great work for the Livestrong Foundation, and they also do a lot of great work with uh, children's charities, going to visit kids as they're going around the country doing their various races, and I think that they do a lot of great work. Well, they're having a fun ride and a block party in Portland, Oregon on May the 24th, 2009 at 12 p.m. This is the Laurelwood Brewery Block Party and Fun Ride. Team Land Rover Orbea is teaming up with Laurelwood Brewery to present a fun afternoon of bikes, barbecue, and, get this, award-winning beer. It includes a scenic 20-mile ride that offers a bit of a challenging terrain but rewards you with some of the best viewpoints of Portland, Oregon, and it is beautiful. Stick around after the ride for barbecue, beer, live music, bike expo, and more in the Laurelwood Brewery parking lot. All proceeds go to the Lance Armstrong Foundation to support cancer prevention and survivorship. Once again, go to the show notes for more information on Team Land Rover or Bea and on the Laurelwood Brewery Block Party and Fun Ride. And with that, it is time, almost time, to get out of here. Before we do go, I want to thank my sponsors, Graham Street and Cyclo Club. Cyclo Club is the hub on the internet for the everyday cyclist, for interaction with other everyday cyclists, and for great training information from Graham Street. Go to www.fredcast.com and click that banner link at the top of the page so that you can participate in the Cyclo Club. Also, don't forget the special offer from Audible so that you can get a 14-day free trial and a free audiobook download. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash cycling. And finally, thank you also for your donations and your subscriptions. You can find that link at the top of the page at www.fredcast.com. Oh, and by the way, have you noticed I've dropped the the on the URL? You can still go to www.thefredcast.com, but I now finally also own the domain www.fredcast.com. And now's a good time to mention, go to the website anytime for show notes, links, and other information, including blog posts and videos. Everything we talk about here on the show, that's at www.fredcast.com. And for the most up-to-date information on the show, and just quite simply what's going on in my life, go ahead and follow me on Twitter. It's twitter.com slash fredcast, or send me an email. My email address is thefredcast at gmail.com, or send me an audio comment. Remember, how much climbing is a lot of climbing? Call the listener hotline at area code 435 258 6373. That's 
Fred. And finally, it is time, as it is every show at the end of the show, to present some Podsafe cycling music. And tonight's music comes to us, as usual, from the Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. Tonight's artist is Casey Desmond. The song is Did We Make It? And at 3 a.m. here on the East Coast, it looks like we did indeed make it to the end of the show. Between this show and next, enjoy the music. But most of all, enjoy the ride. Thank you. 